Good to see you guys this morning. Wow, y'all look stunned. What did you do to them, Nicole? That's right, I heard it. Holy Spirit, that's exactly right. Hey, a couple of reminders. Men, don't forget about the retreat coming up. Please see Woody about that. There's a little note in the bulletin today about a woman's activity coming up as well. Go out there and see Marsha about that. Info table, prayer ministry out there today. And uh, just a reminder, uh, our Wednesday night attendance has been growing. And this Wednesday would be a great Wednesday to start coming to Bible study if you have not been previously coming. Be a great Wednesday. Any Wednesday would be a good Wednesday to start, but this would be a particularly good Wednesday. We're going to be talking about how faith looks at the end, and uh, I think it's, it's going to be a very uh, relevant message. And now today, you and I, after the service, get to go over to the property that our building is going to be built on in just a couple of months. Yeah. So a couple things. Let me say this first. Several directions. So please listen. First of all, forget what I said last week. And here's why. Thanks to Robert Johnston and Dave Binkley, we are actually going to get to park on our property this morning. Okay? So here's the deal. You're going to learn how we're going to get into that property, where we're going to park, and how we're going to get out of the property. So the easiest way, so that you don't have to make a UE, the easiest way to get to that property from here is to go out here, go up Val Vista. When you get to Chandler Heights, you go east or make a right on Chandler Heights up to Greenfield. And then make a left or go north on Greenfield. Now, obviously, we're not used to it, but as you're getting close to Queen Creek, because if you get to the intersection of Queen Creek, you've passed it. As you're getting close to that intersection, you want to slow down because you're going to have to make a right off of Greenfield into the property. Okay? Uh, And then once you get in there, you'll see the parking spaces blocked off. Uh, we're going to wait till everybody gets there and have a large group prayer that I will lead. And then obviously you want to stay, you want to pray by yourself a little bit over that property. You want to pray with others, whatever the Lord is leading you to do. That's great. But here's the other direction. I just want to encourage everybody here today. If you could pitch in, in some way, whether it's helping with getting all the sound equipment torn down and and get it packed up as quickly as possible from the tables out there uh, to other things that we can do to the hospitality table out there because the quicker we get everything packed up here and can get get over there, obviously, the better. So the more people that we have pitching in to get all that packed up that we normally do and then get over there would be awesome. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go over and pray over our property. And I know some of you have asked about pictures. And certainly, you know, I, we want you to take pictures when you're over there. But the priority today is not the picture. We're going to do that the first Sunday of May. The priority today 
is praying on that property and praying for that property and just thanking God for what he's done. Are you excited? Yeah, I am too. I am too. I, I feel today a little bit like I did the, the Sunday we first started this church, which by the way, our seventh anniversary is coming up the first Sunday of April. And as part of that celebration, we're going to be having a potluck uh, after the service as well, the first Sunday of April. So that's only a month away. All right. Since I did all that, I feel like I want to do a little reset. So would you join me in prayer as we ask God to help us today to navigate this message in this passage of Scripture? Lord, we believe that you want us to walk with you today. To enter into to your life. So I pray today, God, that you would help us to do that. That you would even help us to enter into this passage of scripture that is describing events that are now a couple thousand years old. But Lord, make it fresh for us today. Make this passage of scripture come alive to us today. Make it like we've never read these words before. And help us, God, to enter into a journey with you so that we really know what it means to follow Jesus. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 32 this morning. We're going to be looking at chapter 10.32 through chapter 10.52 and finishing out chapter 10 this morning. And this passage I would entitle or summarize as a follower's questions. As you and I follow the Lord, I believe that we will have questions or should have for him. And he certainly is going to have questions for us as well. And what I'd like us to do this morning... Most of us have pretty good imaginations. I I would like us to literally imagine going back a couple thousand years in time. Not being dressed like we are today, but literally like they would have been in that day. Wearing robes, having sandals on our feet, and looking around at all the ancient structures and ancient buildings that were around during Jesus' time. Even just knowing and seeing the dust that we would be walking in as we follow Jesus. And the first question that we sort of come to as we look at this passage is this. Are you and I on the way with Jesus? Are we on the way with Jesus. Notice verse 32. They went on the way, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was going ahead of them, and they were amazed, and also they were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. He said, look, we are going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests The experts in the law, they will condemn him to death. They will turn him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him severely and kill him. Yet after three days, he will rise again. Jesus said, I am the way. 
And for the early Christians who were following Jesus, it was very significant of them for to be on the way with Jesus. In fact, it came to be known in history as the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering or the way of following Jesus. It is a way that is still sort of commemorated every year around Easter time over in the Holy Land as people follow his journey outside of Jerusalem into Jerusalem on the way to where he was actually crucified. And what we learn when you and I are willing to go on the way with Jesus is a few things here. First of all, notice Jesus was leading them. It says Jesus was going ahead of them. Are we allowing Jesus to lead us? That's one of the ways we know we're on the way with Jesus. We're not leading, he is. And then notice also a couple of emotions here, differing emotions. Part of it was amazement or astonishment, like they've all, Jesus has already told them, and he's going to tell them in a couple seconds what's going to happen to him. And they're like astonished that even though he keeps telling them what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem, he's still going. It's like, wow, you're still going to do this? You're still going to... And so there's always, when you and I are on the way with Jesus, there's always going to be this sense of wonder, astonishment, and amazement at the places Jesus is going to take us and at the things we're going to experience. But there's also a little fear, too. Why? Because Jesus will always take us to places we would never choose to go ourselves. He will always seek to take us beyond ourselves, to get us out of our comfort zone. And that's a little scary. I think about the journey that he has us on as a church. And though we're excited about the future and what, there's also a little bit of fear. That's always normal when you're on the way with Jesus. There's going to be times as a Christian where you're both excited and sort of scared all at the same time. That's the way it is to be on the way with Jesus. It's certainly never boring. And then you'll notice, I love this in verse 33. He says, look, we are going to Jerusalem. You're going to do this with me. We're going to do this together. I'm calling you into union and solidarity with me. Jesus wants to draw us into his life. To do life with him, hand in hand. That's why Paul said, I want to know you, Jesus. The power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings, being made conformable unto your death. I want to be drawn into your life, Jesus, every day. I want to be on the way with you. So Jesus is calling us to be on the way with him and to do things in union and solidarity with him. Notice also the second time in this passage, he talks about going up to Jerusalem. Because everything in the Holy Land, Jerusalem is always higher than anything else. So anytime that the people were traveling, they would always be ascending or climbing when they were going to Jerusalem. And it reminds us, when you and I are on the way with Jesus, we will always be ascending or climbing. Which is one of the reasons why we've got to make sure that we're doing this with him. Because the ascent or the climb is going to be hard at times. Just like going out hiking some of these you know, mountains and trails around the Phoenix area. Better be prepared a little bit. Better be in shape. Because the ascent or the climb isn't going to be easy. And neither was the way to Jerusalem. 
Notice also, though, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem before it ever happened. Notice he predicts very specifically the things that's going to happen to him. Nothing that happened to Jesus took him by surprise. He wasn't shocked at what was happening to him when it happened because he already knew it was going to happen ahead of time. And what that reminds us of is when we are on the way with Jesus, we may not know the future, but we are following the one who already does know the future. And we are safe in his hands. We are secure and stable with him because he does know the future. The good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it is, he knows ahead of time. And notice something, that even though Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him before it happened, he still was resolute in going. He still was determined to go. We are going up to Jerusalem. He was undaunted. He was unwavering in going to Jerusalem. And when you and I are on the way with Jesus, we must adopt that same determination, that same resoluteness, that same undaunting, unwavering commitment to follow Jesus no matter what. Are we on the way with Jesus? I think Jesus is asking us of that as a church. Are you on the way with me as we go to places you and I have never been before? But I know the way. I am the way. Are you willing to follow me? Remember, the purpose of Mark's gospel is to evoke from the reader a lasting response in word and deed to the true identity of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is who he claims to be, then shouldn't we be following him? Shouldn't we be allowing him to lead? And when we are on the way with Jesus, these are some of the things that we will experience. But there's another question, beginning in verse 35. What are we asking, seeking, and knocking for from Jesus? Notice that two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, The sons of Zebedee came to him and said, verse 35, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And some Christians even look at that and it's like, Oh, they shouldn't ask Jesus for that. No, I think they should. Maybe they shouldn't have asked for what they asked for. But remember, from the very beginning of these folks following Jesus, Jesus taught them to ask him for things. Did he not in Matthew 7, 7 say, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you? Did he not teach us to do that? Why then are we not asking him for things? Do we not believe he wants to give us things? Do we not believe he can give us things? In that same passage, Jesus goes on to say, if you all who are sinful human beings know how to give good gifts to those who ask you, do you not think the perfect, holy, sinless God knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him to? Ask. And James even says in James 4, 2, that you and I do not have because we do not ask. What have you asked Jesus for lately? Do you not think it's spiritual to ask? I think that the Bible contradicts that. Jesus himself encourages his followers who are on the way with him. Ask, seek, and I love this too, knock. 
which implies in the, even in the original that it takes a little bit of perseverance sometimes. You know, sometimes I think, do we really want something? And I think that's why God sometimes, and I, I say this, in a, and this isn't the best way to describe it, but holds out on us. Because I think sometimes God wants to see in us, do we really want something bad enough to keep asking, seeking, and knocking? Because those verbs are in the continuous tense, if you will. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. What have you asked Jesus for lately? I know what I'm asking him for. I'll tell you. I'm asking him for revival. I'm asking him for the spirit within the Christian community where Christians all over this world finally put Jesus Christ first in their life. Where there's nothing more important. Where he is their all-consuming passion. And where Christians are so, so hungry for God and so thirsty for God that they are willing to, to clear out their schedules and make sure that they can get to a house of worship to hear God and to worship Him as much as possible. That's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for God to bring revival. What are you asking God for in your life. Notice then in verse 36. The next question is. What would your or our response be to Jesus. If he asks us. What do you want me to do for you? Because you'll notice. That's what Jesus asked James and John. What do you want me to do for you? And this isn't the only time in this passage. Where Jesus asked that question. We're going to get to it in just a few moments, but if you look over in verse 51 of chapter 10, notice he asked the blind man, Bartimaeus, the very same question. What do you want me to do for you? Why is that significant in this passage? Because one of the themes of this passage, too, is on being a servant. And that's the question of a servant. A servant will ask others, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus even said, In verse 45, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, you have a servant's heart whenever you and I go around asking others, what can I do for you? Not what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? And it's a question that God asks a lot in the Bible. You remember the story of God interacting with Solomon? He said, Solomon, tell me what I should give you. And Solomon had an answer. He said, Lord, I've been thinking about this. He said, I want wisdom from you. I want the wisdom that will enable me to lead your people more effectively. That's what I want. And God was impressed. Because God said, Solomon, because you didn't ask for riches or wealth or honor or a long life or vengeance on your enemies... I'll give you wisdom beyond what anybody else has ever had. And I'll give you the things you didn't ask for too. Because that's just the way God is. So here's the other question. If Jesus were to come to you today. And see, I, I believe that he does at times come to our life. And I believe that he asks us. Jeff, what do you want me to do for you? 
Do you have an answer? What would you say? Have you thought about it? Because God wants to do for us. Now, back to James and John. Here was their reply. They say in verse 37, well, permit one of us to sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. Notice Jesus' response. You have no idea what you're asking for. Which leads me to that next sort of question. Sometimes do we really know what we're asking him for when we do ask him for things? Because sometimes I think we give ourselves too much credit. Especially when we haven't spent time in prayer over something or in fellowship with him and trying to even ask him for wisdom concerning something. We just come to him sort of on our own and we start asking for things. And and he was like, James and John, you really don't know what you're asking me for. Because in, in, in order for you to get those kind of roles and responsibilities and honors... You're going to have to go through a lot of suffering just like me. Are you willing to go through all that suffering? See, they, they were focused on the reward, but not the responsibility beforehand. They were focused on the crown, but not the cross that would lead to that crown. And Jesus is saying to them, do you really want to be baptized with the baptism that I... In other words, you want to be immersed and submerged in the circumstances I'm going to have to go through? I don't know. Do you really know what you're asking for? And even as a human being, I think sometimes we fail to realize our limitations. That's why a lot of times we have to leave it up to God who knows all things and knows every angle of things. Because when you and I ask God for things, a lot of times it's, it's asking him for things and all we care about is how it affects us. And God's like, well, I could give you that, but do you know all the ramifications and And byproducts of that, if I give that to you, how that will affect everybody else around you? Do you know all the angles of this? If I do that for you, then this domino's got to fall. That And only God knows all that. There's no way you and I can know how one thing given here may affect 10,000 other things all around us. Only God knows that. So I love Jesus' response here. He says, guys... You really don't know what you're asking for. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I experience? And then I love this. Talk about self-confident. They said to him, we're able. Sounds a lot like Peter, doesn't it? I'll never deny you. You know what Jesus does? He says, well, you guys will go through a lot in your lifetime. In fact, James became the very first martyr out of the group of disciples. He gave up his life very, very early. Now, John was the last disciple of the 12 to actually die. He lived pretty long, but remember, the last years of his life were lived in isolation on an isle called Patmos. Not a very good existence. Chosen to be followers of Jesus Christ. But he does say no to their request. In verse 40, he says, to sit on my right hand or my left is not for mine to give. It's not just a favor that I hand out based upon a request from you. It's something that in a sense has to be earned. Now, salvation doesn't have to be earned. But those kind of places in the kingdom, they are earned through faithful life 
service to me. Those things are prepared for. I just can't hand them out based upon you asking for them. So no, I can't guarantee that that's what's going to happen. Doesn't this whole scenario remind you then in James 4, 3 of what James says when he says in in verse 2, we don't have because we don't ask, but then he goes on to say, we ask and we don't receive because we ask so selfishly. We ask simply to fulfill our our flesh. We, We ask for things that only are good for us, but not for others. And in this whole passage, again, Jesus has been trying to not only teach them about the questions that they will have and the questions that he will have for them, but about what it means to be a servant. A servant surrenders what's best for himself. A servant seeks what's best for others. And their request was all about them. Not about profiting or benefiting anyone else. Which is why you'll notice then in verse 41, he goes on to say, when the other 10 heard it, they became angry with James and John. Can I just tell you my own take on this? They were angry at James and John, probably because James and John got to Jesus before they could. Because they weren't any better than James and John. Because they were all arguing last week about who was the greatest. And Jesus called them and said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. High positions, they use their authority, but it is not to be this way. If we're on the way with Jesus among you, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And by the way, the word ransom means we have been set free. And Jesus also is reminding us that he does not set us free to serve ourselves, but to serve others, to selflessly serve. That's why Jesus set us free. And if we are on the way with him, we will live to serve others. So the questions we've looked at so far. Are we on the way with Jesus? What are we asking, seeking, and knocking for from Jesus? What if Jesus asked us, as he does others, what do you want me to do for you? What would our answer or response be? And do we really know what we are asking for? I think that's something we need to give thought and pause to before we ask him for things. It's not that we shouldn't ask. But my personal opinion, based upon my understanding of the word, is spend time in prayer with God before we ask him for things. Let him align our heart with his. Ask for wisdom, as James says, and get things from his perspective before we ask him for things. Because so often, just like James and John, we ask God for things, not really knowing what we're asking for. And then I love how this passage ends. It ends with the very last miracle that we see besides the resurrection of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. The healing of a man named Bartimaeus. Notice what it says in verse 46. They came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, a large crowd was leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. I mean, this man, as far as position in society, occupied the lowest place. He was basically a homeless, blind beggar. You, you couldn't get any lower even in that day in the strata of society than this man, Bartimaeus. When he heard 
that it was Jesus the Nazarene. And obviously he had heard about Jesus and at some point placed his faith in Jesus. He began to shout, Jesus! I love that. Jesus, son of David, which implies he is acknowledging him as the Messiah. Have mercy on me. Notice something about Bartimaeus. He has been a blind beggar most of his life. And he's been blind from birth. We know that from parallel passages in the Gospels. The first thing he says to Jesus isn't, Jesus, why was I born blind? Why have I had such a miserable life? He is not a man, even after all that he's been through, who is filled with all this anger and bitterness. No, why? Because he understands his place. And realizes that everything that he has is because of God's grace. And that he really never deserved anything anyway. And so his response to Jesus is, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. You know what the fast track to Jesus is? Brokenness. Isn't that what the psalmist writes in Psalm 51? The way to God is a broken and contrite spirit. God rejects the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here's a man who isn't coming all high and mighty to Jesus like James and John did. Lord, we're the greatest. Give us the best places in the kingdom. One at your right hand, one at your left. No, here was a blind man who came to Jesus. Jesus, I just need your mercy. Will you have mercy on me? Now notice. Don't miss this. Verse 48. Many scolded him. Told him to be quiet. Basically shut up. But notice what he did. He shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. So here's my next question. In light of Bartimaeus. How much opposition, obstacles, or resistance causes us to shut down rather than continuing our pursuit of Jesus Christ? Because there will always be opposition. There will always be resistance. There will always be obstacles. There will always be the naysayers. They may even be in our own head. We may be even telling ourselves, shut up, don't say anything. Don't do this. Don't do that. You can't do that. You can't do this. Can I tell you, using our church as an example, even before the first Sunday that we started this church, we met with opposition, obstacles, and resistance. Don't don't start that church. Don't do that. Bad idea. Folks, there will always be Opposition, obstacle, resistance, naysayers, negativity, critical, you name it. We have got to get to a place as the people of God where we don't quit no matter what. That's really how you and I know how strong we are. What does it take to make us quit? And notice Bartimaeus was not going to quit pursuing Jesus. Because he knew Jesus was his answer. One way or the other. The buck stopped with Jesus. So I'm not going to let these people shout me down. I'm going to continue to pursue Jesus. No matter what. I love the story of Jacob wrestling with God in the Old Testament. 
Because it really teaches us that here was a man who grabbed hold of God and said, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Oh, that we would have that kind of tenacity with God today. We give up too easily. We give in too easily. And I love Bartimaeus. He is an example of someone who's on the way with God and he does not give up no matter the obstacles, the opposition and the resistance. Folks, we continue to face obstacles, opposition and resistance as a church. And we will, I think, even face more as we get ready to make this transition. We can't let stuff stop us. And just because we're on the way with Jesus doesn't mean we're not going to meet opposition, obstacles and resistance just as Bartimaeus did. Notice verse 49. The master of the universe stopped dead in his tracks for this blind beggar. Now, I want you to see that this morning because some of you are like, Jesus, he won't stop for me. He wouldn't listen to me. Listen, if Jesus stopped for blind beggar Bartimaeus, Jesus will stop in his tracks for you. He cares and loves about you that much. And he says, call him. Now I want to go back down then to verse 51. Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And notice blind Bartimaeus on the, I don't know. No, he says, I want to see. He knew exactly if he ever got a chance, if if God ever said, what do you want me to do for you? He knew exactly what he would say to God. I want to see. I want my sight. And Jesus says to him, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately notice he regained his sight and followed him on the road. Why did Bartimaeus want to see? I believe that primarily... He wanted to see so that he could start following Jesus. But here's the question. Are we willing to follow Jesus all the way? Because notice that the road that Bartimaeus now was going to follow Jesus as he could see him was going to be the road to Jerusalem, the road to Calvary. Some of the first things that this blind man ever saw was Jesus being betrayed and being tortured and being flogged. And having the crown of thorns placed upon his head. And having the nails driven into his flesh. These were some of the first images this man ever saw. But because he was willing to follow Jesus all the way, he also, I believe, was one of the 500 people that saw Jesus alive after he rose from the dead. See, so often we circumvent or short circuit the things that we could experience with God because we don't follow him all the way. When it begins to get hard, when it begins to get rough, when it begins to get painful, when we go through those times of suffering, we just throw up our hands and give up. But when we follow him all the way, we can get through those times and then we can get to this glory over here talking about resurrection. You and I have to be willing to go through hard times and then there's harvest times. And those who have been with us for seven years, putting your time in, plying your ministry, serving the Lord, you are beginning to see and you will continue to see greater and greater harvest come. Why? Because you were willing to put in all this time of seed planting and the harvest comes. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians? 
Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't faint or give up. Follow him all the way. Yes, it may mean hard times. But there's glory at the end for those who are willing to follow all the way. There's greater and greater experiences if we stay faithful to him. Even through those hard times like Bartimaeus had to witness. If he would have never been willing to follow Jesus to Jerusalem and to Calvary, he also would have never experienced the resurrection. And there are so many Christians that never experience, if you will, experiences like the resurrection because they're never willing to go through going to Jerusalem with Jesus. Now, Jesus, that's too, too, too high of a climb. Too high of a climb. I'm not going. I'm staying behind. And that's fine. That's our choice. (laughs) But we never experience then those mountaintop experiences if we're never willing to make the climb. We never see the view. Some of those beautiful views around Phoenix where you can see the whole valley and stuff. You can't see unless you're willing to make the climb. Well, guess what? Spiritually speaking, if you and I aren't willing to make that climb with Jesus, we never get those views either. We stay down in the valley and think this is all there is when there's so much more if we're willing to make the climb. And then finally, I want to go back a few verses to verse 49 where the master of the universe stopped dead in his tracks and says, call him. And they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling you. Final question for us this morning. Do we have the courage to get up and follow Jesus? See, I believe this morning that Jesus is calling us as a church to go with him. Are we going to have the courage to get up and follow him? And then I believe that he has a call on every one of your lives and mine. Every one of us. And I believe he's calling. I believe that you are hearing his voice today in your spirit. So the question is, do you and I, like Bartimaeus... Have the courage, because it takes courage to follow Jesus. Following Jesus isn't for weak wimps. Following Jesus is for those who are willing to be strong and courageous. And Jesus is asking all of us today, corporately and individually, will you have the courage to get up now and follow me? Let's stand. As our worship team comes this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray today that we would be a people who have the courage to get up and follow you. I believe that you are calling us today, corporately and individually. You are asking us, will we go on this way with you? Will we be like Bartimaeus? throw off that coat, jump up as a blind man and go to Jesus? Not listen to the naysayers? Not worried about what other people will think? Doesn't care about all the critical thinking in my own head and the critical thinking of others, but just says yes to the call of God. Maybe some of us here today, you... Clearly hear God calling you. 
And God wants you to come publicly and make a commitment publicly to that call. Others of you, maybe he doesn't. But for those that God is calling out, in a sense, publicly today and saying, here's my call for you. Will you have the courage to get up and follow me? Will we have that courage today? Give us that courage, God. Give us that strength to get up out of our seat and come and follow you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.